All right, so our God is a God of faithful fulfillment. In fact, we will continually, as we go through this book of Luke, as we're going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book, we're going to talk about many prophecies of the Messiah, many prophecies of Jesus. Uh, In fact, theologians have estimated that there's at least 300 fulfillments of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, and some actually think it would be as many as 100 to 200 more than even that. That's a conservative estimate at 300. So if we wanted to study that, we would be studying that probably for years if we wanted to just go through that alone week by week. So what's the odds of one man fulfilling 300 plus prophecies through his birth? Uh, About zero. But we know that we worship the God of the impossible, the, the, the God who can make the possible impossible. Or the impossible possible. How, how amazing is that? Th- things that don't seem like they could ever happen, happen because our God is faithful and fulfilling. Let me go ahead and pray and just get us started into this word. Lord God, I'm so excited to get into this word today as we continue this road to Christmas, as we see your faithfulness. And in, in what you're talking, we, we've, we've saw you ap- appear to Elizabeth, and we've, we've seen you... Uh, appear to Mary as well, and we, we've watched these two ladies uh, just get this just amazing prophecy through the angel Gabriel, that they will both have sons. One is having a son at an, an, an aged uh, state uh, where she was supposed to be barren and had been barren her whole life, and then the other is a virgin and has not known a man and now about to have a baby as well. And, and how these babies, John the Baptist and Jesus, are going to work to fulfill your great plan. How amazing are you, God? Thank you so much for this this wonderful thing. Now we're going to see these two women come together. We're going to see them converse, and then we're going to see Mary magnify you, Lord. So God, as we as we prepare to get into this, this wonderful account, as we continue this journey to Christmas, um, God, may, may, we, may you open up our hearts and minds to hear your word. Lord, we all come in with a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives. We all have things that we struggle with, uh, as uh, Brother Jim said, you know, most people love Christmas, but some of us, Christmas brings up some hard memories. We've maybe lost a loved one recently, and we start to think about that, or, or maybe we've lost a loved one a long time ago, but this time just makes it that much harder. Maybe we have family issues, and just the thought of being in the same room with some of our family just is almost too much to even bear or to think about, Lord. But God, may all of that fall out of our minds at this point, because Christmas is all about you. You are the reason for the season, as we say. Uh, you're, you're the reason for life, God, because you have breathed life into us. And not only do you breathe life into us, but you have redeemed our life from the pit. We have sinned and fallen short. And God, you've redeemed us through the cross. And as we, as we start this journey to Christmas, as we continue through this journey to Christmas, open up our hearts and minds to focus on what really and truly matters. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today we're going to see four responses to the, the, the fact that we have a faithful father. So number one, because we know that God is faithful and fulfilling his plan, we should believe the Lord. We should believe the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and read 39 through 45 here, this first half entirety, entirely at this point, so we can get the whole account. So in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment, a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Going forward here, here the next slide, we see verses 39 and 40. So we see that Mary goes to the hill country, and this is a, 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 country, a town in Judah or Judea to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth. And some commentators feel strongly that this is uh, Hebron. So if we look here, we see she's up in Nazareth. It's actually quite a, a journey, probably a three to four day journey that she is making here. Um, usually have to go across here and down into the hill country. A lot of commentators think this is Hebron that she went to um, because we see in Joshua 21.10, verses 11, we see that it talks about the priests, the sons of Aaron, went to live in Hebron at that point years before. Uh, we can't be entirely sure, but it's in this vicinity when we're looking there. So why is she going to Hebron? Why would she make this incredible journey as a young lady? And if you remember back in 36 and 37, what did Gabriel tell her? It's not in there. What, what did Gabriel tell her that Elizabeth her relative was pregnant. And not only that, but she was six months pregnant. And so Mary goes in haste and doesn't waste much time with zeal, with speed, to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's very unlikely that anyone knew about Mary's pregnancy in Nazareth at this point when she's leaving. Uh, in fact, you look at Matthew 1, uh, 18 through 25, we see that, that, that Joseph, it's kind of later on, had decided to divorce her quietly and was trying to be a kind before the uh, before he was also revealed uh, that the angelic blessing of the Messiah. But it's likely she's she's seeking to want to go talk to somebody who understands what's going on. So she knows that Zechariah and Elizabeth had heard from the angel Gabriel as well. And so she knew that Elizabeth is miraculously pregnant. And if anyone in this world can understand what she's going through or what she's about to go through, that couple is the couple. So so she she just picks up and heads out. We don't know what that interchange is with her family. We don't know who all she takes with her or if she does or how that works. We, we assume she probably took someone with her because it's not a real safe trip to make down that way, but, but she heads out in haste as we see this. And then moving forward, we, she gets, she arrives, so three or four days later, she arrives at the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and we see here and uh, verses 41 and then skip ahead to 44, and Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary the baby leaped in her womb. And for behold, when the, and then verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How amazing is that greeting? So, so we have Mary arrives to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth, and she's no doubt nervous at this point. She's been told that she's going to have the Messiah, uh, the, the son of the most high God, the son of God himself. The Holy Spirit at this point had already overshadowed her and had made a baby in her womb, though she had never known a man. And so she opens up whatever kind of door they had or kind of goes in. And, and what happens? This baby in Elizabeth's womb, about six months old, this baby in Mary's womb only days probably, no more than a week or two old, probably days though, and the baby, John the Baptist, leaps in his mother's womb. That, that is quite a greeting, isn't it? And, and so if we remember in Luke one fifteen, this baby that Elizabeth is about to have, there was a special promise here that we heard with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
how amazing is this? So we, we're told in this that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that in a second. But how great is it that this baby in Elizabeth's womb is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow Elizabeth to know, hey, this is legit, to confirm it that much more, to praise God because even his Messiah is in Mary's womb. How amazing is that? That he's already doing his job to prepare the way of the Lord, even from the womb. How great is that, church? Just so beautiful. Now, I don't want us to get lost in the weeds. We're going to discuss this a little bit more next month as we go to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday next month. But it is clear where God is at on abortion. This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. And there's a lot of great points in this to discuss, but I really don't want us to miss if Psalm 119, Genesis 1 and 2, and countless other scriptures do not convince you that life begins at conception. This account should convince you more than anything else. The baby John is in his mother's womb around six months of age and leaps while filled with the Holy Spirit. Can, can anything other than a person be filled with the Holy Spirit? No, my friends. Only believers, only people can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, this baby Jesus is days old from conception. No one today would even know that she was pregnant yet. She probably wouldn't even test positive yet on a pregnancy test. Maybe. It would be real close because she is that close to just conceiving at that point. That baby just implanted in her, in her womb. And that baby is called what? A baby. That baby is worshipped by another baby in the womb at that point and worshipped by Elizabeth who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is no doubt these two babies, these two baby boys, even before they were, were made on earth, even before their bodies were given to them, they had the, the angel Gabriel through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, had prophesied what they would do and who they would be. We see Jeremiah, what does God tell him? Before I formed you, I knew you. Before the foundations of the world were chosen, we're going to see this later. How amazing are those facts? And this is not a political issue, my friends. This is a biblical issue. Life begins with conception per God. And he's the one that created life, so he's the one that can determine when life begins. So we're going to kind of get back. We'll, we'll keep moving forward. I'll preach for a while on that if I'm given too much time. Uh, so Luke 1, 42-43, we see this. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, this is Elizabeth, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is kind of easy to overlook in our culture, but back then there was a huge hierarchy between older and younger men and women. And so you didn't usually see an older man or woman honor a younger man or woman. That was not really seen much. But here Elizabeth is honoring Mary and is honoring this baby that is days old in Mary's womb. And I love the says, my Lord, the mother of my Lord. She is recognizing through the power of the Holy Spirit that this baby is Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And I think something else we don't want to miss here is, how did Elizabeth know? We're, we're told that Mary's told that Elizabeth is pregnant, but we're not told that Elizabeth is told that Mary's pregnant. So Mary, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is revealing prophecy that Elizabeth didn't even know yet. How beautiful is this account that she's exalting Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she offers one final word of encouragement here while speaking through the Holy Spirit in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed. Hmm. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We saw this even in the last sermon at the end, how Mary believed 
the angel Gabriel. And now we see Elizabeth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, recognize that Mary believed. My friends, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? We see, and remember Abraham in the Old Testament, how, how God blesses belief and faith. And Genesis fifteen six, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Our God is faithful, and he rewards those who believe in his faithfulness. And I pray that each of us has put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and humbled ourselves before him and humbled ourselves before God like Mary has here. Next, we can know that because, number two, because we know that God is faithful and fulfilling his plan, we should bless the Lord. Let me start by reading verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and the holy is his name. So this section of Scripture, we're kind of changing gears. So we just saw Mary and Elizabeth and their interchange. Now we're going to change direction. We're going to see this this song of Mary. It's called Mary's Song or Mary's Magnificat. Is, and that word Magnificat actually comes from the Latin meaning to magnify. Uh, my, my buddy, uh, a really good friend of mine, Pastor Josh Bailey, uh, he's actually teaching this this week as well, and he, he gave me this wonderful illustration. I had to take it, and I told him I'd give him credit for it. But he said, we don't take a microscope to look at God to take something small and blow it up so that we can see it better. But no, we take a telescope out because God is so vast that we need a telescope to even zoom in on one little part. And that is what Mary's doing here as we're going to get into this song. She's taking out this telescope and just seeing whatever she can. It's so vast that she can't even hardly explain how great that God is. And she's magnifying her Savior. And she's doing it with her whole self, with her, with her soul and her spirit, meaning all of her. But why does she magnify the Lord? Because he's looked at her humble estate and shown her favor. There's so much overlap here with Mary and Hannah. If you remember Hannah, uh, Samuel's mother of the Old Testament, here's what Hannah said when she was blessed with her son. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no, no rock like our God. And Mary echoes this express of her praise, and she understands that God is her personal Savior. That's so beautiful. We look at the end here, verses 48 through 49. If you recall, we mentioned that Mary was of low estate. She was from Nazareth, which was a very impoverished area. Uh, we remember uh, Nathaniel was like, could anything good come from Nazareth when talking about Jesus uh, before he met him? Um, we, we realize it wasn't a great, time, great place to grow up, but now she says that all generations will call her blessed because of what God has done. And and she realizes it's not because of her personal holiness. It's not because of her upbringing. It's not because of just who she is or what she's done. But in other words, it's because of what God has done. And I love this this quote here. She, She is not blessed based on what she has done or what she will do. Instead, she is blessed because of what God has done and will continue doing. And we talked about that in growth group this morning, how it's not what we do that brings God glory. It's, it's how we serve him. It's what he does through us. So when, when we do something good, but it's for our own glory, it brings God no glory, and that will burn up. It could be a great thing that you do by worldly standards, but it is not good. It's not done for the glory of God. But what we do for Christ will last, right? How, how beautiful is that? So she sees that she is blessed 
by one who is mighty and one who has done these good things for her, one who is perfectly holy. And her selfless humility and magnification of God is exemplary here. We can learn so much from her to, to not boast in ourselves, but to boast in God. Because our, 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 if we look just at our, our innate self wants to boast in ourselves, wants to magnify what we have done. Look at what I have done. I mean, look at us from, from childhood. Mom, look at how great I am. Look at what I can do. Did you see that, what I just did? And some of us never grow up out of that. Some of us get to our workplaces, and it's like, hey, boss, look at how great I am, and, and they'll just pour themselves out, or, or even marriage. Like, hey, spouse, look at how great I am. Tell me how great I am, because we're all looking for magnifying ourselves and our own glory instead of magnifying the glory of, the God, may, of God himself. May we not thrive on the approval of man, but may we look to the approval of God. And David's give, or David give us, gives us a great example of how we should bless the Lord and reflect all glory to him as well in Psalm 103, 1 through 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all of your diseases. Our response to our faithful Father should bless his name. We should bless our faithful God because of who, she, of who he is and how faithful he is. Moving on to our third point, as we continue through this wonderful song of Mary, because we know that God is faithful in fulfilling his plan, we should be in awe because of the Lord. We should be in awe because of the Lord. Let's read verses 50 through 53 together. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Here we come to a kind of a, a series of positive and negative statements that is coming about God's blessings upon the righteous and, and his judgment upon the unrighteous. And I'm going to go ahead and just break these down into a couple of points. Number one, he has mercy for those who fear him, yet those who are proud he has scattered with the strength of his arm. So God's mercy is for those who reverentially fear him and love him and respect him. God does not approach us in hostility when we are broken and humble before him. We see this clearly taught by, by, by Jesus who quoted, quoted this verse, but also in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will, bring, he will faithfully bring forth justice. But what about the next phrase in our, in our scripture? He, those who are proud, he has scattered with the strength of his arm. You know, we read that, and sometimes we, we don't get that. And, and we know that we should see awe in God's mercy, and we should, should love God's mercy and be so thankful for his mercy. But what about this right, his, his arm? You know, we see the arm of God. And, and where do we see that in Scripture? Well, we see that the arm of God is for those who oppose God and who put their hearts on sin and on selfishness, that those who put themselves up, uh, who set themselves up against the knowledge of God and are idolaters. We know that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. So we should rejoice in God's consistency here, that, that he blesses those who fear and revere and love him, and he curses or judges those who do not. And I pray that you've placed your faith in Christ because, my friends, you will glorify God one way or another. And some people will be like, scoff at that if you're an atheist or if you're not a believer. You're like, how will I glorify God? I live my life in defiance to God. I, I do everything I can to, to de defame him. And I don't know how you hate someone, to be honest between me and you. How do you hate someone who doesn't exist? 
You know what I mean? But they know, the Bible says in Romans 1, that we all know there's a God so that no one is without excuse. So we know, I love the book by Norman Geisler, I do not believe in atheists. I don't believe in atheists. Because you can't hate someone who's not there, so we know there is a God. But here's the thing, my friends. We will either glorify God by voluntarily worshiping Him, by giving our life to Him, by living our lives for Him, or we, we will glorify God in our judgment. That is a really harsh thing I know to say. It's a really horrifying thing to say. But we see Pharaoh. Pharaoh glorified God in the Old Testament. Talked a little about this this morning. Exodus 6, 1, we see Pharaoh. We're talking about Egypt. And Pharaoh says, eh, I'm not going to do it. So, so here's what Exodus 6, 1 says. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. His strong arm, his strong hand is terrifying, my friends. When it is upon you and judgment, it is a terrifying thing. And we can even look forward to the judgment on, on earth. In Isaiah 51, 5, it says, My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and, my, and for my arm they wait. Our, our God is a consuming fire, Deuteronomy 4, 24. Our God is a God of righteous judgment upon those who reject him. My friends, I would be hating you to not tell you that there is a pro and there is or there, there is a positive part of this message and there is a negative part of this message. But both will be positive for God. He will be glorified either way, whether you are in Christ and you are in heaven forever. That is what he desires. He desires no, none to, to perish, none to, to go to hell. But he is just and he will be glorified through his judgment upon you. So I do pray that his kindness leads you to repentance. Not, not the fear. Obviously, we should fear the Lord. We should fear his judgment. But his kindness should lead us to repentance. As we see Christmas coming, we see the baby Jesus, God just mercifully and humbly coming to earth to live a sinless life for us and to die on the cross as we know when Easter's coming here in a few months too. How amazing is that? We should respond to that. Moving forward, we see uh, that... Uh, in, in, in number two here, God brings down the mighty and exalts those of humble estate. God brings down the mighty and exalts those of humble estate. So we've just seen this with, with Mary. She's, she's been honored not because of how great she is, but because of the favor of God upon her and how great is that. And in our last section, we saw that Pharaoh was brought down. He was the mighty one. So we have th- this, this contrast. We have Mary... Who's, who's of low estate that God exalts. We have Pharaoh who sets himself up as God. He says, I am God. He speaks as though he is God. And what does God do? He humbles him. Jesus said in, in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Th- those who are mighty, who think they are God themselves, and don't think we've gotten past that. Uh, it may not look the same as Pharaoh, but, but when people say, I think that this is right, and I think that this is wrong, and they go against the Word of God, they have put themselves in the seat of God. When you make a moral judgment that is not based on Scripture, you have become God yourself. You've said, okay, this is right, this is wrong. That's God's decision. You don't have a right make a moral decision apart from God. God is the God of morality. God is the God who created life. He has the opportunity. He has the authority to decide what is right or wrong. You may say, I think this is right. Well, God says, no, he's right. I hate to tell you that that's how it's going to end up in everything. And so we see those who set themselves up against God, but think 
that they're right. And we see this in the church of Laodicea, who, who is given this really tough word from the Lord Jesus in Revelation 3.17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. My friends, there are those who think themselves mighty who are poor. Those who think themselves rich who are in want. I pray that that's not you. I pray that, that we realize that apart from God, we are wretched. We are pitiable. We are to be pitied among everyone if Jesus is not really God, as Paul said. But we know that he is. We know that God is the one who exalts and saves those who humble themselves before him. I pray that we can be in awe of God like that. And finally, in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So number three, he fills the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So this verse again contrasts those who are humble with those who are prideful, those who trust in, in money to deliver them versus those who find themselves wanting the Lord Jesus. This is what Jesus said, Matthew nineteen twenty four. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, a rich person, to enter the kingdom of God. He wants to warn us Americans. Some of you look around and say, I'm not rich. Well, if you were able to get here in a vehicle, if you were able to eat a couple meals yesterday, you're rich in this world. We are all rich in this world. But you know what? That's not really even the real lesson that we have here. Yes, it mentions food, but, but what, what this is really driving at is do you see yourself as self-sufficient? Do you, do you see yourself as not needing anyone or anything? You can provide for yourself. You don't need God's daily bread because you'll find your own. You don't need God's money because you've got your own. You don't need God's blessing because you've, you've, you, you'll, you'll bless yourself. Or do you recognize that you do have a need for daily bread from the Lord, that, that you wouldn't have anything apart from him? Do you realize that, that you wouldn't have anything if you wouldn't have the oxygen that he blesses you with to walk, to move, the energy that you have? If it weren't for the gracious kindness of your Father in heaven, you wouldn't have hope for eternal life. Do you recognize that? I pray that you recognize that, that you're in awe of our wondrous God who is so merciful to us. And lastly, number four, because we know that God is faithful and fulfilling his plan, we should belong to the Lord. We should belong to the Lord. Let's read 54 through 56, these last three verses. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So if we look at verses 44, or 50, 54 and 55, we see God's salvific work explained through the ages. Mary most likely did not understand how big what, what she just said was. This, this prophetic word that she has just given, I don't think she fully grasped it. Because you see, Israel was very nationalistic in their thinking. They were God's chosen people. We know that God still has a plan for them in the end times. We know the 144,000 still, as we look into the tribulation, God still has a plan for Israel. But yet, there was something a lot more mysterious, a mystery to be revealed that was going to be coming soon, that Christ promised almost 2,000 years earlier to Abraham. We've mentioned Abraham once already and, and how he believed God and it was credited him as righteousness in Genesis 15. Fast forward uh, seven chapters, we see Genesis 22:18, and this is what God says to Abraham in the covenant that he made to Abraham. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What does it mean by all? 
the nations of the earth. All the nations of the earth. Not just Israel. All the nations of the earth. And as we come to Christmas, we're going to understand that more and more of what that wonderful prophecy some 2,000 years before Christ is born really truly means. We know that salvation is not going to be offered only to Israel through the Messiah, but it would be to all. God would right the wrongs of all of us if we would humble ourselves before him. Uh, that, that this God-man Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who came to this earth and lived a sinless life, that he would fulfill the plan that was set from the beginning. We see this even in Genesis 3.15 in the garden that the Messiah would be coming, that, that one born of the seed of woman would be coming. And, and I love that idea of the seed of woman because the seed actually comes from man if we really look at consummation. But what that's saying is there's not going to be a father. So we see that even in Genesis 3.15, that God himself would put that seed in woman so that this man would be fully God and fully man. And so many are like, oh, you know, it, nothing really makes sense when you're looking. It was, this was like a last-ditch Band-Aid effort that God had to try to save mankind. It was a plan from the beginning. And we see it thousands of years before Christ was born, that this was the plan. And Christ would come so that all the nations of the earth would be able to be saved. Be able to be saved, though. It would not save everyone. We are not a universalist church. We do not believe that you're saved just because Jesus died for the world. Yes, God loved the whole world, and his death on that cross is, is, is sufficient for all. The, the free gift of eternal life is open to any who would humble themselves before our mighty God, but is only effective for those who truly humble themselves, who are born again, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is what Jesus says out of his own mouth. We, we read John three sixteen, but we don't keep going a lot of times. So this is what he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only his one and only son that whoever believes in him did not perish have eternal life did anyone else say that in the kjv in their head i know we kind of get we memorize that one that way but let's keep going through 17 and 18 for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him sounds like really good news he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world so God's motive in sending Jesus Christ is that all may be saved. But now we get to the effectual calling, the effectual salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but we have to read further. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is one way, my friends, one way to God, and that is through the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man who died for you, who was sent for your forgiveness, for your sins. He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose three days later, is now at the right hand of the Father, waiting to intercede for you. But it requires you to repent or turn away from your sins. If you want to belong to Jesus Christ, it's not just a head nod. It is being born again. It's fully giving your heart completely to him. And my friends, I pray that everyone has done that here. I pray that, that you can answer that question, do you belong to the Lord? Are you His? I pray that you can say, I am completely His. Everything I have is His. Uh, all my money, all, all my talents, all my gifts, my breath, everything I pour out and I, I pour out as a drink offering before my, my Savior. I pray that you, that's wonderful. Praise be to God for that. 
If you say, well, I give him this part of my life, well, my friends, he doesn't work that way. If that's you and you say, well, I, I go to church on Sunday and I give him my Sundays, but my Monday through Saturday I don't give him, my friends, you're at risk of not being saved. And I'm just going to be honest, and, and we need to talk about that. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to truly give your heart, to be born again. That means that your ways, what you want to do, have died. Yes, there's the flesh, and you're going to fight things, absolutely. You're, you're going to still have sin. We're not perfected until we die. Talked about that a few weeks ago. But my friends, you're given a new heart. You're, you're a new creation. Earlier in this uh, chapter 3 of John, if we, we missed this too, he, John, uh, you, we see Jesus talking with Nicodemus, and he said, well, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says to be born again. Nicodemus is like, how do I go in my mother's womb? I mean, we're talking about wombs here. This, you know, how do I do that? I'm, I'm a huge man. How's that going to work? And you know, Jesus talks about a spiritual rebirth that God does that work in us. He makes us a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. How, how beautiful is that? And we've seen here that Israel has always had a special place in God's family, that, he has been, that they have been God's chosen people. We know that we already mentioned they still have a special place in God's plan in the end times. But right now, we see that we are chosen. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Not according to the purpose of how great you are, but according to how great he is, his loving kindness and his mercy. And I pray that you belong to the sovereign Lord. And I pray that you are sons and daughters of the king. And I pray that as you get into this Christmas season, you look around and you listen to that number that, that Brother Jim mentioned, 157 plus thousand people per day that go to hell like you know so, so jim said it in a nice way that died apart from jesus christ but we know what that really means it means that they are burning for all eternity in hell like man i mean how awful is that i, I listened to this atheist actually who gave me the best reason for evangelism it would be an atheist who teaches a christian and he talks about how he was he, he had just done a show and this guy comes up to him afterwards and he says he shares the gospel with him. And this, this, this guy who's a performer, he's like, you know, what? I could tell this guy really believed it and that he cared for me and he knew about my shows. He, he was a fan. I knew he was a legitimate. He wasn't just coming just to try to proselytize me. He loved me. He wanted me to hear this message that he believed. And he talks about how there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if I put all my trust in, in Jesus Christ, then, I'll, then I go to heaven. If I don't, then I go to hell. And, and, and he, he goes through this whole thing. And the guy shares a pretty good gospel presentation as an atheist on on this video. And he said, the more I started thinking about what this guy did, I could tell he was legit. I started thinking about my other friends who call themselves Christians. You know, they, they, they call themselves Christians, and then I started thinking, they've never told me that I was going to go to hell. They've never told me that, that God died for me through the man Jesus Christ, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins. He's like, and he, he just looked, he said, I don't believe it. I still don't believe it. But how much do you have to hate somebody to know that they're going to hell and not tell them? I mean, I just remember hearing this. I'm in, I was in medical school at the time in a, in a Sunday school class and just hearing this atheist tell me about how much I must hate him because I'm not telling him he's going to hell and that he needs Jesus Christ for salvation. And as I listened, he said, it's kind of like a guy walking on the railroad tracks with earmuffs on, listening to music really loud, and he can't hear what's going on, and he's walking, and there's a train coming behind him about to pop him. And you just sit there and you watch it happen. You just watch him burn. You just watch him get run over by that train. And as we enter 
this Christmas season, there are many in our neighborhoods, there are many in our families that don't belong to the Lord. There are many that are going to hell and they will burn for all eternity with no purgatory, no chance of of trying to earn salvation any other way. My friends, how much do you have to hate them to stay silent and let them get hit by the train? To let them burn? My friends, that, that was a pivotal turning point in my life, to be honest. Whenever I was like, wow, I need to tell people about Jesus Christ. Because hell is a real place, and heaven is a real place, and God is a real God, and many do not belong to him. And as we just heard, at least 157,000 die every day because we didn't tell them. We didn't warn them. We didn't tell them that their house was on fire, and we watched them burn alive. We didn't tell them that the train was coming, and we let it take them out. My friends, don't get your life so bogged down by things that do not matter. There are so many things that we get concerned about. Like, you know, okay, what are we going to do when people come over? And and what are we going to do? we got Christmas coming up. And what kind of decorations are we going to put up? And how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And we get so bogged down by things that, frankly, are going to burn. There are going to be things that are going to burn. In the world, all these decorations, they're beautiful. I love decorations. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. But you know what? These are great, but God is greater. And, and, And people need to hear how great our God is. And so may we not get so lost in present buying and, and you know, all the other things that, that spend so much of our time and we miss that people are, are going to be living eternally apart from God. May we be a people who belong to the Lord and may we be people who tell others how to belong to the Lord as well. As we come to a close, uh, I know we've seen here that we should believe the Lord, we should bless the Lord, we should be in awe of the Lord. And finally, we should belong to the Lord. We've seen this gracious interchange between Elizabeth and Mary and just how beautiful this promised Messiah would be. This amazing account of redemption. And we finish with this beautiful, praise-filled song from Mary and her Magnificat. My friends, as we're getting closer to Christmas, Christmas is coming. But what is your response going to be to the faithful fulfillment that Jesus is bringing? As he comes to earth, as God brings his son, Jesus Christ, what, what is going to be your response to that personally and corporately? What's going to be our response? How, how are we going to respond to the truth of the gospel? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for salvation. God, for taking a wretch like me and saving me. For taking someone who, who wanted to live for themselves and, and teaching me what it was like to, to understand your word and thank you for not just saving me but but sanctifying me and helping me learn more and more about what it me- what it means to to follow you I, I thank you for even speaking through atheists uh, and convicting me at times when it comes to evangelism and God I pray that you be, you be with each one of us and God I just corporately repent as a church for the American church for our church for every church that we are dropping the ball at sharing the gospel with others there are some of us that do a good job at this but most of us we don't Let's just be honest. We, we don't. And God, there's a reason why our church is dying. It's because we don't share the gospel. And now we know that you have to be drawing others, that, that we can share the gospel with tons of different people, and they may not come to a saving knowledge of Christ because people aren't saved because of how eloquent we are, how great that we are. They're only saved because you draw them and they respond. But Lord, may we do that work. No one has believed if they've never heard. And how beautiful are the feet of one who brings good news. And we have the best 
news ever. The, the Evangelion, the, the, the gospel, the good news, Lord. And may we share it with all that we come in contact with as your spirit works through us, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. And amen.